Hello and welcome to this episode of the Musician's Journey podcast. Kave Vares is, together with the singer Karima Elfilali, releasing Bihar El Hawa, which means Seas of Love in Arabic, and which we've just been listening to an excerpt from, and this EP is out now on the 29th of October. See the show notes for all the titles of the pieces that are featured in this episode. And I'll now hand it over to Kave and let him introduce himself. So my name is Kabe, Kabe Vares. I'm originally from Iran and I grew up there and I came to Netherlands around 13 years ago and I studied here and at the moment I'm a composer. I write music for orchestras, for ensembles, for films, for dance and theater and also I'm a music educator I'm teaching at the Conservatory of Amsterdam and in Netherlands Film Academy at the moment. Can you take us back to where your musical journey started in your life? Um, that's a very long time ago. I was around, um, I think I was four or five years old. And we had in our house back then this small uh, five octave keyboard from Sony next to our <laughs> next to our uh, guest room and that's you need to remember this is from the time that the the color of technology <laughs> was not silver as it is today yeah. <laughs> you know? it was more beige you know? so there was that kind of keyboard um the keys that was on it uh, uh, of course there was the, the clavier there was the keyboard part but then also it had like extra keys on top that you could press and some random rhythm or something would would, would show up and then it had like five of those. And when you would press them in, it would get stuck inside until you press it again, that the key would come out. So then the rhythm would start and stop, you know, <laughs> that, 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 uh. that, that time of technology, you know. <laughs> and then, yeah, I was, I was just playing around with that without any idea. I just liked that when you press those keys, it sounds. And then there was this TV series, uh, that was being shown every two nights, I think, on our television. And it had a very uh, memorable music on it. It was a very clear melody for me to remember. Mm-hmm. And then one day I started making that melody on that keyboard. On my toes standing and playing on that and making, make, remaking that melody again. And then my parents were in another room and they heard that melody coming there. And they looked, my older brothers are sitting next to them. And they're like, is that... Kaveh playing that and they were very surprised and they came <laughs> just to find me playing that melody there and they were like oh good that he can actually play by ear so maybe maybe we should uh, get him a teacher and then so I had very kind parents and very very caring parents so they bought a piano and they uh, they found the best teacher at that time that they could find actually from between family members and then I started learning piano that's how my music journey began yeah, and it continued with piano then for some time? It continued with piano for quite a while, but I was not really someone that uh, teachers could put in a box. So I was constantly running away from anything that had to do with homework or <laughs> practicing. And I just wanted to do my own thing all the time. So after some years of try and error, this teacher finally gave up. And when he left, I was playing actually piano much more because then... I could just do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was so happy to find sounds that work together. 
So I would like find a, <laughs> a perfect fifth and I would be so happy running to the kitchen to my mom. Mom, look what I found. These two sound so good with each other. <laughs> but at that moment, I had no clue that it's perfect fifth, of course. <laughs> there was no knowledge about it, but I was just being so excited about every tiny thing I was finding. Yeah. yeah and then it continued like that for a while. And then I just started uh, uh, improvising for myself. So I think from around seven, eight, I was just improvising things for myself, making music that gradually I was, I was playing and then it would grow by itself. So I would play like a couple of notes and I would have a melody. And then I was playing also the harmony with it. And then try and everything gradually note by note pieces would start growing. You know, mm. it was not something that I was very aware of what I'm doing a form or anything of that had no, no knowledge of any sorts. I was just making whatever sounded good to me and, trying to keep uh, uh, playing the next note that I think sounds good after the other ones. So, yeah, and then that was the rest of several years until I was a bit more grown up and I could, again, follow some order from teachers. (laughs) Then I found another teacher, which was uh, very helpful. And he was the son of one of the greatest uh, Iranian uh, composers in the history, uh, Murtaza Hanani. And his son, Ali Hanane, was uh, the person that I found to to actually teach me piano. Then I was learning much more. Where I was really interested. I knew my interests. And then I started like playing Chopin and uh, Schubert. And then I was giving recitals in small concerts in Iran here and there when I was 17, 18, 19. And then... Yeah, and then another teacher, two more teachers also then I found from from Georgia as well, who were living in Iran back then. Then it started speeding up, you know. Then... Uh, while we're still in your in your journey, I'm just curious about if if there was a point when you have to decide to pursue mm. music. Was it a choice that you made or did you just automatically fall into it? Mm. There was a choice that I had to make at some point, yeah. Um, well, in the, in the kind of norm of the society I was living you and, and like, if you are from, from certain families, you have to be educated. There is no other way. So there is a kind of thing that is a demand from the layer of the parents and you have to be educated. You have to go to university. It's like, there is a, there is no other way. Still, when, when I was in that period of 17, 18, 19, I was still looking at music as hobby. I wasn't sure if this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. But then with it, within that pursuit of going to university, I started studying physics. And then I did a bachelor in physics in, uh, in university in Iran. Within the second, third year bachelor of physics, I realized that what I really want for my future is to become a composer. So in a way, I, I I have to thank physics in a way that it opened my eyes to life in a way that I actually managed to be someone who chooses things for himself, you know? <laughs> so because that's 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 also something. You never know where you get where you what you get in your life, you know. Always there are so many things hand in hand that makes us think the way we think and and choose the things that we choose. Yeah, just the fact that I was a student in a university and I saw how how academic learning works and then realizing that, oh my God, I'm I'm really not going to pursue physics after. I, I just need to finish this and 
and run away towards my, my love, which is music. <laughs> so physique was something a little bit in the middle of my life with music. So what, whatever was happening in my life was about music and then physics came in and then left, but mm-hmm. never really leaves you because it's like gives you a kind of worldview that is in your blood after you learn physics. So mm-hmm. yeah, then, uh, then I had to decide and then I said, okay, here is the diploma my parents thank you <laughs> now i'm going to pursue next next stage but already i knew that i want to do that so when i was studying third year and fourth years uh, bachelor in physics i also had almost three or four days a week i had uh, specific teachers that i was working with to prepare me um, to learn enough music in an academic way that i can go to a, to a conservatory out of iran to study and then I had uh, two Georgian teachers. Um, or one was Tengiz Shavlokashvili and one was Tamara Dolitze. Tengiz was actually someone that when he was young, apparently he had even some lessons with Shostakovich, which was very special <laughs> to me that I actually wow. had someone that had met Shostakovich before. And they were really amazing uh, teachers, actually. And uh, they prepared me. And then I went to Armenia. And then I studied in Yerevan State Conservatory, Komitas Conservatory, for two years. There I had a wonderful teacher of composition, Artur Avanesov, who was a, a genius, prodigy kind of character who was just two years older than me, but he was like, he had having his PhD in, in music and, and uh, several other degrees. And like, one of those very big brain, big heart, amazing person. So I learned a lot from him in that two years. But all the other side subjects were not being thought very well, unfortunately, in that conservatory because there was so much lack of uh, yeah budget and you know troubles that people were going through that the teachers were not really putting their heart into teaching much. Not all of them, but most of them, let's say. <laughs> there was not much to learn from other classes, unfortunately. So then I was like, okay, I want, if I want to learn this, I have to go somewhere that is more to the heart of classical music. So let's go to Europe. And then I chose Netherlands for several reasons. First of all, I knew someone who was living in Netherlands back then, which I was so, sort of dating back then as well. But it was a long distance. and you know. And then, yeah. But in the end, when I came to Netherlands, uh, it, was, it was several weeks after our relationship was finished. So um, then I chose between the cities. So basically, I sent my material to different conservatories, and um, I got accepted in uh, Den Haag and and uh, Utrecht and Amsterdam. But then Amsterdam was my first choice because of several teachers that were teaching here, like Willem Jets and Richard Iris and Wim Hendricks, and those were the reasons for me to stay in Amsterdam and also the city itself. So short story long. That's how I started. <laughs> and again, going back to Bachelor of Classical yeah. Music Composition, because also I didn't want to accept any any of the things that I supposedly passed, any of the lessons that I supposedly passed in Armenia to bring them with me here. I didn't want them to get accepted because I knew that I didn't learn enough. So I just said, I'm going to start anyway from the first year Bachelor. And there it was very Russian style, of course, of, of, of teaching in Armenia. And yeah. here it was very Viennese. So very two different <laughs> kind of schools. And yeah. it was very interesting for me to, to see the, the different 
uh, not only in the way that people look at music, but also the way that people look at education. <laughs> Very mm. different. <laughs> and you made a home for yourself in Amsterdam? Yes, it took a long time until that happened. Yeah. Um, because uh, as someone who is coming from from Iran to stay in our in, in in Netherlands is not the easiest path to get visa and passport and everything, and also as an artist out of all the other jobs, <laughs> like, to be an artist and managing to stay here is not easy, to be honest. Huh. Um, There are so many rules that you have to go through to be able to obtain a passport or a visa. Um, so my, for me, the decision to how, when I would allow myself to feel home here was when I knew that I can stay properly and yeah. I don't have to obtain a visa every year. I yeah. didn't want to uh, have the emotional breakdown. <laughs> so I was holding myself to not feel that it is my home uh, for so many years to be exact, for 11 years yeah. that I was here. Yeah. And now you're staying. You're not thinking about going anywhere. I'm very stable now. <laughs> yeah. I'm very stable now because I have, like, at the same time, I have very good, good work to do, which is uh, both in conservatory and film academy. I'm now hired by, by the Amsterdam art schools. And I, I'm, I'm loving that that part of the work. And also I have my projects coming in. So things mm. are working quite well, honestly. No yeah. complaints, let's say. Yeah. You feel safe, like you you know you will be able to get work in the future when you need to make money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th there's there is a part of that safety that that became much more when I when when I started having a contract with the conservatory, of course. So um, until a year ago, actually this year, no September this year, is when the contract started, just two months ago. But until then, I was just a freelancer who was really eating from the art, which is not that I don't, I don't, um, how you say, advise that to anyone, <laughs> to be honest. Because then you have to also work with projects that you don't necessarily believe in, just because you have to make a living, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a human, you know, we have to eat and have somewhere to sleep in. So I took a lot of different projects, overlapping projects, and a lot of stress is there when you're a freelancer. And no complaints on the fact that I always had projects. That's a good part. I mean, there was never a moment that I was out of project. Maybe one week or two in between projects that were happening, from film to dance theater to concert music. Yeah, the, the moment that the contract came in, I feel way more calm and safe in my life because mm. I know that there is at least a monthly payment that is taking care of my life and my projects are also there for some extra luxury if I need you know mm. and I don't have to say yes to every project anymore I can 
choose which projects get my stamp, stamp of standard <laughs> and which don't yeah. you know <laughs> so yeah. that's that's a nice nice place to be so yeah i do feel safe i do feel at home nowadays yeah what would you say to someone who is a composer but hasn't yet this uh, this safety that you have well i think it depends on there's a part of this that depends so much on on the on the character of people and at least what i learned in this country because i think in different countries it's again different because you're living in a society and then you have to try to learn about that society and what is their ups and downs so for someone who who is in netherlands i can say things that are maybe a bit more accurate for example that here people look at their work as a part of their life it's their livelihood so every moment spent at work here means that it has to be a nice moment if we are working with people and then if we are not uh, considering that fact people don't come back to us to work with us if it's not nice to work with us you know <laughs> It's very interesting because I mean, art is a big part, of course. It's about art. It's about the quality of your work. But there is this side part to it that is much more defining if you're going to get more projects or not, at least in this country, in my understanding. <laughs> I'm, not, uh, gen I'm not generalizing, but I try to just say that this is from my point of view, but it doesn't mean that it's true or false, but uh, it's just what I experienced is that there are people that are much I'm, I'm sure there's so many of, of colleagues that are much better composers than I am. And they would get lesser work than I do. And to me, if I just look at it from far distance, one of the reasons is that it's just it, people don't enjoy working with them. The process of work is not fun enough. You know, it's all very serious, very dry, very like... This is what I say, and this is it, you know. <laughs> so, and that that usually doesn't doesn't uh, go well in this society. You have to be a bit more flexible. That's one of the things. But the other thing that would maybe be the kind of um, answer that would work for people everywhere, composers everywhere, would be to, at least in my experience, I realized that to keep your hand open in in writing in different styles helps you a lot and also the writing for wherever whatever needs music yeah. um, it's the world we live in exactly the world we live in mm. is different nowadays it's not the kind of it's not it's not the time of just you know being a, a genius composer at your home and uh, hoping that you will be recognized and you can make a living out of it i mean not that that ever happened in the history that easily anyway but <laughs> mm. but still our times has a need for music as any other time, but also there are many more means for music to be to be used. Any artist that is doing anything now also wants music with their art, you know. Yeah. So it regardless if you're a dancer or filmmaker or you have an installation of things in an exhibition or now art is mixing with each other. So all the fields are trying to share the space as much as possible with each other so that flexibility is very important to be able to work with other people with other artists and there's so much to learn from all of them it's like if composers who are classically trained use that 
knowledge that they have from the classical music composition uh, classes that they they pass in their schools as a tool and not necessarily remain in that world in a dogmatic way <laughs> you know mm-hmm. they can they can offer much more to every field that's what i believe in and that's what i'm yeah. doing I'm, I'm, i'm working with almost every industry at the moment soon uh, in, i think in a couple of days uh, the ep will come out actually an ep will come out with uh, with some work that i've done for pop um, arab singer with yeah very beautiful uh, arabic melodies and the hip hop producer who made beats and you know it's it's really interesting area that i never touched before but when when you have the the knowledge of basic of music you can jump into any of these fields and have something's new to offer to them as well so i think composers have to open their hands and their minds more to be able to find a better living <laughs> that's what i believe Do you think that the imposter syndrome can get in one's way sometimes you know it can it, it can take some courage to just to say okay i can do that it's not a genre i have worked with before but i trust that i have the skills necessary to get something done with it yeah that's that 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 has been a problem a long long time ago for me but then there was also that also has a moment of decision again it yeah. was one other decision that i made And that was the moment that I just literally sat down and I literally spoke with myself. I spoke loudly to myself, Kave, no one is going to believe in you unless you do it yourself. Mm. <laughs> I, I really sat down and said that to myself, you know, yeah. <laughs> loudly, <laughs> word by word, <laughs> in my own language, of course. And um, yeah, that, that, is, that is a decision to be made because yeah. how long can, can we wait? It's one life we have, you know. There is no way that we can learn anything on, unless we start making our hands dirty with it. So even if I don't know something and I want to learn it and I do it for the first try that I want do, I want to do, I don't say that I'm going to make the best product out of it. But to go towards the best product, I cannot uh, reach it if I don't do it. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to start. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, that is, sorry, just uh, to, to, to add to that is that that even at some point became a kind of addiction for me to just find something new that I have no idea about because it, it's, it's so, it's so freeing, you know, it's so mm-hmm. exciting. It, it went to the level that when any, any time that I would have a little bit of, of composer's block, I would choose a new tool to, to compose with. So I would become like a child that is learning to walk again, you know, <laughs> and then everything mm-hmm. becomes exciting once more, you know. something that grounds you in your everyday life like some kind of philosophy or meditation practice or something that can you know be a balance against the it's kind of chaotic this modern world Mm -hmm. 
Well, nowadays, nowadays it's the teaching that is doing that for me. Um, before that, I did meditation a lot as well. I would like wake up in my bed first, do meditation, and then before bed also at night doing another session of meditation. Or sometimes between the work and the day, I would do like a five minutes uh, fast meditation just to you know get back to my body and remember where I am, who I am, and then continue the work. Because <laughs> it's of course this kind of work. It's like a rabbit hole that you just jump in and you lose yourself totally. But then at the same time, there is a whole life going on and and you still have a body that you have to think of every now and then. Does it need to eat or <laughs> do I have to move on my chair so I don't get completely blocked? You know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it sounds very uh, mundane, but I think these are actually very important because this is the, the, the motor that is working for us to to help us do what we're doing. Yeah, health health yes how do you how do you stay healthy well um well i try to move enough <laughs> i don't say that i'm like someone who would go to gym and such i'm not really a fan of gym <laughs> but the fact that i bike here and there in this city is very helpful and also i eat well so i try to be careful what i'm eating um i think these two are 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 already doing a lot for me physically for me mental health is more of a <laughs> more of more of an a, a subject to care for yeah my my body is doing so far so good you know and um, the mental part with all the things that are going on all the all the things that i have to have control on and the things that i have to not have control on you know <laughs> to choose not to have control on <laughs> yeah so there there's so much of that sort going on but also it's it's because now the 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 work that I do is not just teaching I'm I'm also the head of a department for the film music department so that also brings all sorts of other aspects of of taking care of a large group of people and also teachers and you know all the collaborations and the meetings and the needs of other people that I have to consider, you know, from teacher to student. So a lot of programming, a lot of Excel sheets, they are also a part of my life nowadays, but I don't find them as difficult as composing, to be honest. <laughs> Nothing right. is more difficult than composing. Okay. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh. All of these are the parts that I use as meditation. <laughs> yeah. Strangely enough. <laughs> It might sound very opposite to what people wish to to hear, you know, <laughs> because there's this <laughs> there's this romantic idea of composing that it's all fun and goody goody, and you just you know sit and you <laughs> imagine and things appear in your mind, and you're gone in this field of uh, <laughs> Ghibli <laughs> cartoons in your mind, and you're making yeah. beautiful spiritual music <laughs> coming up. Yeah, that can also happen every now and then, but it's very rare. <laughs> it's all hard work after all <laughs> and all the things around it I feel like I so often when there is a video with an interview of an artist then mm -hmm. you know of course it's all about it's all focused on the actual art and yeah. the inspiration and things like that but this year I've been really fascinated by all the things around it that doesn't have anything to do with making music but mm -hmm. that are anyway mm -hmm. necessary like yeah. 
like networking and mm-hmm. and taxes and mm-hmm. learning software and yeah. and things like freeing up space on my laptop you know just yeah yeah there are just a thousand little things that <laughs> yeah, also yeah. is a part of this whole package can you say something yeah. about Absolutely. the things that take up some of your time that does not involve composing well the thing is to to me um there are of course there are now now my my life is split between two one is being an educator and one being an artist mm. so if we just keep the part of the artist and then i talk about that i think that's where you're coming yeah. from <laughs> yeah. so yeah but you know the thing is it it it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have composing in it those things that you're talking about those things that you're talking about is backstage it's Mm. behind the curtains and the building of the theater and it's not about the moment of the theater at being on the stage but it's about everything else that is needed for that thing to happen so to me also the choices of what i'm doing from what i'm choosing to do in all those practical layer that you're talking about the practical layers let's call it the choices are are art driven so it's because of what i want to achieve in my art that i choose my practical life so in the end composing is always always present regardless if i'm busy with just cleaning up my laptop because i know that is resulting to as a a to b and then b to c and at the end of the road again it's about composition you know (laughs) or learning a new software which for example, recent, recently I started uh, um, stumbling uh, upon this program called VCV, which is which is for uh, modular synthesis. So all of these racks that you would have before as as huge racks that the people had to use for modular synthesis, now it's all on the program and it's free source. You can just have any kind of synthesizing sound, but it's so delicious to learn and to to work with. And for one project of a dance theater that I had to do, I I heard that they needed some layer of ambient music as well, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe this is a time, good time to learn something new as well, you know, <laughs> since I'm already busy with this project, so why not also learn something new? So again, the the drive comes from from the aim that is towards the art itself, and all the practicalities are just tools for that, basically. And then I started learning this program many days, spent so many hours and and enjoyed those hours fully. Also because I knew that there is a result, you know. I'm I'm not someone that would just say, okay, I'm just going to learn this thing for the sake of learning that thing. I'm not I'm not that kind of person, fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> it has to have an aim higher than just learning something, you know. <laughs> because there is so much to learn. I mean, yeah, we could just sit and I don't know learn the pi number for hundred thousand hundred thousand digits why would we do that you know so because there is no aim for that i don't i don't do that kind of stuff any anything anything that i do anything that i learn without having that aim seems to me as if sitting and learning the pi number for hundred thousand digits you know it's the Mm. it's equal to that if there is no aim for it you know do you also yeah. have to do things that you don't enjoy doing? I had to do that a lot before. 
as a, as as a freelancer when and also sometimes you accept a project and at the beginning everything sounds really good and you think you have very good connection with people who you're going to work with and then in the middle you realize oh no this is actually quite painful but then i'm responsible for the project or i have to replace myself with someone who i'm sure can finish up the project or i have to just finish the project and put on the badge of i also did a painful project on my <laughs> on my chest mm. you know or even i failed which is also a great badge to have in my understanding yeah i appreciate people who who clearly did their failure already in their projects like when i'm working with people if if you bring me two people in front of me and say this one has 100% success this one has 20% failure i would choose the one that has 20% failure he knows how to fail <laughs> or she you know and I only started doing it professionally this year. I have yeah. been slowly building a private practice. I have some private nice. students now, nice. which is a lot of fun. And I recently started teaching some uh, adults then one day a week in the evening at a state-funded school or state-supported school of some kind. Nice. And I nice. feel this responsibility, you know, mm -hmm. because teaching I guess teaching cello and teaching composition I mean there is no one it's not like mathematics it's not that clear it's more personal no. and the teachers I had exactly. that I could relate to and whose influence I will then carry on will might not uh, be something that others will relate to so people mm -hmm. I will teach might have preferred a different type of teacher or a different approach mm. so uh, mm. it's it's really demanding and fascinating to try to meet every single one to try and get a feel for what they need and how fast and how much at the time and mm -hmm. uh, yeah it, it it's taking up a lot of my head space yeah 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 that's a very very important subject you're bringing up because also to keep that headspace in a way that it doesn't overflow in a way to the other part of your day when you're going to be busy with your art yeah is a very difficult task yeah i notice it comes <laughs> it needs, in like when yeah. i i'm doing yoga yeah. and i'm thinking about yeah, yeah. teaching yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's mm. great responsibility I learned from, from someone that usually starting to teach and building a program that will be steady and working good, it takes around five years. Um, 
at least in the case of the kind of work that I'm doing when it's about making curriculum for, you know, for a department. Mm. Um, but I think that's the same again. I think we, there, is a, there is a certain amount of time that we have to do something until we feel comfortable with it, that we don't need to think about it too much and it comes as a flow. I, I believe the pass of time will solve that issue of the headspace, you know. Mm. <laughs> I hope. I mean, I'm also experiencing it still. But I did start teaching um, around six years ago. I started making like some courses for film academy to teach non-musicians how to talk about music and how to listen to music, and to which was helping them to communicate with composers that were going to work with later on. And then I started making a lot of those kind of courses from film music management to music in function and then they started coursing just popping out from different quarters you know mm -hmm. and then in conservatory I also started teaching uh, orchestration uh, from two years ago and then also this one started which is the film music composition so the teaching was 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 there and I had this kind of uh, issue already at the beginning when it was about um, yeah the responsibility of course yeah it's a huge responsibility. Yeah. But uh, there was one other part to it which gave me a little bit of more comfort. And that's the fact it is true that it is a huge responsibility. But on the other hand, this is not the only uh, parameter that makes success for someone. You know, mm. there are so many parameters that have to come handy, hand in hand. So I can just do the best what I can think of, you know. Yeah. I just prepare the field for any seed that can grow, you know? <laughs> yeah, and be a guide. Be a, be a guide as much as I don't press the natural presence of the seed itself as well. You know, yeah. That's also another very difficult, difficult aspect of teaching. But the most difficult moment I had regarding the responsibility was when I had 41 applicants for film music composition this year, and I had to choose five from all over the world uh, that's the yeah. that's was really um, harsh you know that was harsh that was very heartbreaking for me because you see the talents you know and of course from 41 to cut down to 15 was easy part because then you're like okay this is like the material was not even enough for being judged you can actually cut that part out mm. but then from 15 coming down to five mm. really hard yeah. <laughs> really hard I had sleep sleepless nights for that because I was constantly worried what if I'm taking away an opportunity of a lifetime from someone who's very talented because there is a level that everyone is almost the same you know there is from a, a layer that with whatever you can get from them it's I mean how how much you try to make the entrance a material that that you need that you ask from them how much you try to make it balanced in a way that it shows you the best possible potentials mm -hmm. still you never know you know still you don't know it's a gamble in the end you know hence is life as well such as life you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and at the same time that was the most painful but also the most uh, humbling experience as well because I realized I'm giving myself too much credit of how much effect I'm having on the life of these people. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> yeah. So 
then I realized, okay, I can just do whatever I can do the best and stop worrying too much because the element of gamble is too big for us to have any control on it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like 13 years ago when I started coming into to this country, I would never imagine in my wildest dreams that I'm going to become the head of the film music department in the conservatory. Never could imagine that, you know. There's so many things that hit me in the road. Was that because of my teachers? Was it? I don't know. How much of it was because of the teachers? I don't know. How much of it was because of the life that happened to me? I don't know. How much of it was because of a word or two that I heard when I was a kid from my dad or my uncles? I don't know. You know, there is so many things hand in hand. So, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Could you even have imagined that such a thing as a film music department would exist? No, no, I didn't. I didn't even know that that existed in the conservatory until I I studied in it myself and got my second master's there. So I did a bachelor and two masters. So one of them was uh, classical music composition, the bachelor and the master. And then I did the film music. Yeah, I didn't even (laughs) I didn't even get in the department with the first exam. (laughs) I was on the waiting list. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) In the end, when I was taking uh, 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 sw- switching over from from the from the uh, old teacher to me, I was like, I, "Do you remember, by the way, that I was not even accepted in the department <laughs> in, in this in this <laughs> studies in the first place?" We had to have a good laugh about it, and also it was again another of those proofs for me that it's so random this whole thing that you never know. Yeah. So.
Uh, now, near the end, I'm really curious about how people, how musicians uh, relate to social media. Can you say something about how you treat it? Well, for me, it's quite some years that I'm using Facebook as my main uh, social media platform. And for me, that's mainly the place that I post stuff about my work every now and then. I'm not too serious about that part, actually. Mm. It seems like I am, but I'm not really. I just, whatever I can post just to, you know, to to share what I'm doing with maybe someone looks and likes, you know. Other than that, my website, I made it very cleanly, but then it takes me so long every time to update it because I just don't have time. Um, I think it's getting too much credit, the social media, than what it deserves and what it actually offers people. I think even there are people who are actually who are actually making it to the top because purely because of their art, but then they think that social media is doing it for them, which is very strange for me. But in general, I don't have anything against social media. It's just another platform for people to to meet, to catch up, to be, to feel closer, to know a little bit more about each other. I hear a lot of bad things about it, but I I don't have that kind of judgments in general. You know, it's mm-hmm. also another way for people to catch up. You know, the kind of life that we have where where hanging around is not as easy, and you have friends from all over the world. You can't meet everyone all the time. If I wanted to con- keep contact constant contact with two and a half thousand people that are friends of mine on Facebook. <laughs> I wouldn't have a life anymore. Mm-hmm. But like this, at least I know a little bit what's going on. At least I can send a message every now and then to someone to, you know, as 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 superficial as it sounds, you know, still there is a sense of connection there. You know, like I would never, for example, have this that is happening now with you having a chat with you if it wasn't because of Facebook. I just saw what you're doing there. I saw your cello practice and I was like, wow, that's actually so sweet to see what she's doing, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then and then you just send me a message after that, you know? So mm. it still kept us in touch and that's nice, you know? We can share yeah. ideas now with each other and have a chat. And... Yeah. Did uh, your um, approach to social media change when you got a regular job? Was it different when you were, you know, looking for projects and mm. wanted to be found and seen more, maybe? I don't know which, it's, it's one of those questions that I don't know if it's, uh, uh, if it was egg or the chicken first. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think my life already started becoming so much, so, so much being surrounded by my music activities that that became my life. So that was what I had to share. If music activity was not a part of my life and I was doing, I don't know, mountain climbing, that would be what I would share about myself to my friends, you know? So it's not that because of social media, I changed how I would share what's around me. I think it's because I, because that is what is surrounding me. That's the only thing I have to share, you know? Mm. <laughs> In a way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, what does it mean for you to be a musician? Wow, that's you bring the difficult questions at the end. Huh? That's my last. <laughs> it's the last one. Huh? <laughs> what does it mean to be a musician? Wow, that's a very difficult question. Well, 
Look, I'll give one one tiny example of what I think about what we do in general as artists. Okay. Um, when I was a kid, when I was like around four or five years old, or six maybe even, there was a chat between my my father and my uncle. And they were talking about a person that I don't know who that person was. But they were talking very highly of him. And they were saying, this person is someone that when you ask him for a specific thing, he doesn't wait until tomorrow. He immediately picks up his phone and starts putting it in motion. And they were looking at that as such a high quality uh, in, in, in a human being. They have no idea I was hearing that. That guy has no idea that I learned that through my father and my uncle. But that became one of the things that built me in my life. Because I saw the people that I'm looking up to are looking up to someone else. So that's that's a meme. Yeah. A meme traveled, came to me, changed my life, you know. And there are so many of those memes around that are coming to us to change our lives. I think in my understanding, what we do with art is of such quality that we are producing memes to generate betterness in this world, you know. And these memes can travel in all sorts of ways, you know. It can be or true through a sound that we hear, you know, we never know how these things can, can work with us. Like when, when listening to Bach's music, for example, how much our emotions and our, our body starts getting activated. That's like my greatest hero between all the composers is Bach. And I was listening to that when I was a kid also. And I was always amazed, like how, how can someone come up with such a, such a magnificent beauty, you know? that question was so so big for me back there it was the greatest question of my 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 time when i was a kid was how on earth someone can make something like that but the way that it was touching me the way that it was making my emotions work the way that it was bringing questions to my head and answering the questions in, in a complete non-linguistic way you know it's not about language of which question i have or none but in a musical way, of course, you know, <laughs> the way that it was framing a problem and resolving it. All of those are things that I look at them as, as, as very, um, very important tools for, for life, for the development of a human in this world. So I hope that answers what I mean by what being a musician means to me. But being a musician is for me another, just being another artist, another part of the whole world of art. And the same question can go for the whole thing. Why do we do art? You know, And that answer can cover, in my understanding, the whole thing. We are just uh, spraying memes around, you know? Mm. <laughs> and they travel places that we cannot even imagine. Just the same way that the words of that man traveled to my life and gave me a lot so beautiful mm, such a poetic iranian 
reply. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I thought it's so practical. I was like, oh, but this must be the most dry answer someone could give to this question. <laughs> no. No. no, that's beautiful. Where can people listen to the music you're making? Ah, uh, they can they can listen to my uh, in my website. You can follow what I'm doing if hopefully I upload new stuff there. There is a lot already, so I yeah, can, there is quite a lot on my website, but I have to make new stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have to. I have, there's a lot happening that is not there as well at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly uh, uh, happy nowadays and excited about this EP that is going to come out because that's for me a new world that I jumped in again mm. with uh, with uh, an amazing uh, Dutch Moroccan singer Karima El Felali and a wonderful uh, uh, producer Daniel Thury Wills and we made this uh, um, EP now, which I think it's a starting point of a much longer journey that we are going to take as a trio with each other and make much more music in future. But it's uh, with Arab Arabic uh, lyrics from poems of a Persian poet, actually, who was only writing in Arabic language called uh, Mansur Hallaj and also Ibn Arabi. So those poets are poets from 800, 900 years ago. And there are, there are Sufi poetry. And then we made like a kind of something that doesn't, that doesn't exist nowadays in Arab pop music. So in a way, <laughs> I would like to say that we made a kind of A-pop. If what, what K-pop <laughs> is to Korea, we made A-pop for Arab countries in a yeah. way. There's this like a mixture of all sorts of styles from heavy metal to drum to, to, to a lot of hip hop material and like there's a string orchestra or there is a harpsichord and theremin playing solos for example here and there you know it's like a very crazy mixture of of all sorts of music that's a thing that i would uh yeah i would like to see what what people think of actually that's that's a very new thing for me to come in mm. and on 29th of october actually it's going to be on spotify and all the digital places yeah the name Bihar Al Hawa. for listening once again and see the show notes for a link to Kava's website and also to my page on coffee ko-fi.com slash the musician's journey podcast where you can buy me a symbolic coffee you can also support this podcast monthly through coffee and if you have any comments to me my email address is in the show notes you can also find this podcast on instagram where you are welcome to make a comment say how you found something inspiring or what you would like me to ask people about in future episodes 
It's been a pleasure for me to share this year's musical journey with you and I hope you want to stick around for the next conversations to come. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much. Thank you.